Thank you, sir. Once again, good morning to everybody. Good morning to our uh, folks who are watching from around the country. And we want to extend a very special welcome to our international viewers and listeners. We love you very much. Thank you for joining us, especially you folks who have been with us for quite some time now. Thank you for saying hello to us and making contact with us. Uh, we love you very much. We are praying for you, and we have you in our hearts and in our minds. So good morning and God's blessings to everyone. Welcome back to our snowbirds. Rick, it's good to see you here again. And Mr. Ellis, I know you. When you came in at first, I didn't recognize you. Very nice to see you. And you too, Aunt B. Can you believe this man actually has a real Aunt B? And she's just as lovely and sweet as the one that Andy had, or, or if not more so, I'm sure. Uh, welcome to you, sir. Welcome to all of our visitors. Uh, as uh, you church members who are watching this morning, and, and those of you who have been watching us for quite some time, you know this is the first Sunday of the month. It is Communion uh, Sunday. Church members, I trust you have prepared your, your hearts, your minds, uh, to come to the Lord's table. Uh, for those of you who are watching and for our visitors, we extend to you the invitation. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is indeed your Lord and your Savior, you are invited to join us and participate, all of you, in the Lord's table. And to those of you who are church members who are watching this morning, we love you very much. And please, please feel free to join us when we have our communion service shortly. Um, Believe it or not, folks, we are almost at the end of the Voice of the Martyrs prayer guide. I believe it's taken us a year or a little over a year to work our, our way through it. Today, I believe, is uh, the very last Sunday, although some way or another I still want to keep bringing to your attention our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world by way of Voice of the Martyrs and other ministries that helps us assist our, our fellow saints, our fellow Christian soldiers the world over. Uh, today, to conclude uh, last year's prayer guide, and actually this year's prayer guide is, is available now, we uh, conclude with the nation of Yemen. So please, this week in the days, weeks, months ahead, always really, please pray for our brothers and sisters in the nation of Yemen. Yemen, according to Voice of the Martyrs, is a restricted country. The people of Yemen have suffered greatly since the start of their civil war in March of 2015. You probably remember this. But the gospel has flourished greatly during this time. Yemeni Christians have become more proactive in their outreach efforts, though they still face extreme danger even for being identified as a Christian. As such, they must reach out in creative ways that are both bold and wise. Small numbers of Yemenis are being added to the body of Christ weekly. Praise God for that. And there are many seekers as interest in Christian media grows. Most regions of the country now have at least one follower of Christ residing there. About 99% of Yemenis are Muslim, as you can imagine. About one-third are Shiites, and the rest are Sunni Muslims. Persecutors include the government, Islamic extremist groups, as you can imagine, communities, tribes, and families, um, of Christian converts. Al-Qaeda is prominent and active there. 
Converting to Christianity from Islam in this nation is a crime punishable by death. These folks really need our prayers. And families consider it extremely shameful, according to the culture, for a family member to become a Christian. Christian converts face harassment, as you can imagine, the possibility of losing jobs, family relationships, and of course, potentially death. Christians worship secretly in homes or in small groups outdoors. Bibles can be found in Yemen, but they are very difficult to obtain. There's a great, great, great need there, especially considering today's passage in the spiritual warfare passage, the Bible itself is a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. These Christian soldiers desperately need their sidearm, their sword, their spiritual weapon. Bibles can be found in Yemen, but they are difficult to obtain. However, Yemenis can freely read the Bible online. Praise God for that. In addition, digital copies can be downloaded to their smartphones or computers. And this is a very ingenious way for Christians and others to, to receive the scriptures. This is, if I can use the expression, all the rage these days in certain parts of the world. Voice of the Martyrs supports indigenous believers who reach out to their community and provides relief to some Christians who are suffering as a result of the war. We also support various forms of media that make God's word more accessible inside of Yemen. So please pray for your, your brothers and sisters there. And Pastor, there's a tremendous famine in Yemen. There's a famine there. Oh, terrible. Thank you for telling me that. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I don't know if you heard Lynn, she uh, said there's a terrible famine there in Yemen as well. So please uh, pray for these folks. Uh, every time I read of the gospel spreading like a wildfire now through these countries, I've, I've told some of you folks this, uh, this account many times. Uh, you're probably tired of hearing it by now, but it never ceases to amaze me. A Voice of the Martyrs conference I attended a few years ago. Uh, there were some folks from Syria who were there who had come from a Christian family. And um, it was an amazing experience to hear their story and to hear them speak. And uh, they were very excited. They were very uh, joyful in, in that the gospel of Christ is just raging like a prairie fire through the Middle East and parts of the Middle East. And of course, you're not going to hear that in the media in the United States. And uh, they said, uh, mind your prayers. Uh, one gentleman came from a family that I believe now for a generation or so have been Christians. And he said, my family have been praying all of my life for a Christian revival, for the success of the gospel in Syria. And he said, it took a war for that to happen. God will do whatever it takes to bring his end and for the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, to thrive. It makes me wonder what it's going to take for America to do some waking up. Be ready. Be prepared. He will do what it takes, not only for individuals, for families, for churches, for nations as a whole. But uh, remember these folks in Yemen in particular in your prayers. With that, let's take them before our Lord in prayer. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth, one and only true creator and redeemer God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We trust we are worshiping you in spirit and in truth by singing your praises and by proclaiming your word and by obeying the ancient command to observe the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ in our behalf. We pray for all of those around the world who are watching us. 
particularly those who do not have a church where they can meet in safety and in public and enjoy communion. And we welcome them to join us. We are very grateful for them. Folks in countries which they are being persecuted, protect them. Please protect them. Please watch over them. Please give them the armor of God that we have been studying for some weeks now. And please arm them all with the sword of the Spirit, your word which will never die, which will never fade, the sacred scriptures. Meet their physical needs. We pray for the spiritual needs of our brothers and sisters in Jesus in Yemen and for their physical safety. And we do pray for the situation of this famine. There is great hardship in this country. I pray for this nation as a whole. I pray that the gospel of Jesus would grow and thrive there by whatever means you see necessary to spread it and for the seed to be planted and grow in hearts and minds there. But I do pray for the welfare of our brothers and sisters. Please give them the power of the Spirit to live the Christian life boldly and wisely and well. Help us here in America to follow in their footsteps. Help us to never rest and to never be slothful in supporting them, helping them, praying for them with our resources in any way that we can. In particular, placing the sword of the Spirit in their hands to wage the battle in this life wisely and well as we all journey on our way to our eternal home. I thank you for those who have gathered here this morning in person, for our folks who have arrived safely home from abroad, for our visitors. Bless them, keep them. Open everyone's heart and mind to receive the truth of your word and to translate your words into action in our life. And prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls to come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ as we are commanded to commemorate his sacrifice on our behalf in this table which points to the wedding feast of the Lamb himself in our future. May the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our one and only rock and redeemer. You who are our one and only hope, and you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In the name of King Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please to join in the reading of the word of the Lord. Today we will be returning uh, to the verse that we began to uh, explore or unpack last week. We will remain in verse 17 uh, this week. Today's exploration of the Christian soldier metaphor is the last half of verse 17, chapter 6, verse 17b, but I'm going to go ahead and read the whole verse again. And take up the helmet of salvation, which of course we explored last week. And now this week's unpacking of the metaphor, finally the soldier's offensive and defensive weapon. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. To those who may be joining us out there for the first time, to our visitors, uh, we work through uh, books of the Bible in expositional fashion on uh, Sunday mornings and often on, on Bible study nights, but for some weeks now we have been in Ephesians chapter 6, and of course one of the most powerful and meaningful metaphors for the Christian life in this world, that of the Christian as a hard campaigning soldier. And the famous, as we traditionally say, armor of God passage. So today, resuming where we left off in our study of 
This metaphor of the Christian as soldier in this world, the spiritual warfare armor of God passage in chapter 6. Uh, as I've said many times and probably will say many more times, the New Testament tells us that this life, this side of eternity, is part pilgrimage and part battleground. The holidays come hereafter or will be brought to us someday after the last and final conflict when the Son of God whom this armor of God is based upon when the divine warrior king returns to judge and obliterate enemies and evil once and for all and forever. As it is with our great divine warrior king, so it is with the Christian soldier, the people of God in this world. We fight evil in this world, in this journey, as our Lord does. So taking up in the second half of verse 17 with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and we will proceed from there. Let me read this to you again. From the original Greek, which you know I love to study and love to explore, you could just as arguably translate into English Paul saying this, Take up, grasp onto, seize onto the sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. Obviously one of the mo uh, most well-known parts, one of the most well-known phrases from this, one of the New Testament's most well-known metaphors. So now, finally, at last, we worked our way through the soldier armoring himself up for defense and for offense, I add. But now, obviously, we come to the soldier's obvious weaponry, the sword. One of the, obviously, one of the most basic, uh, foundational, uh, fundamental standard weapons of armies in the nation of the ancient world. And really, a, a, a sword of some type, of some type of a sidearm, has been essential to soldiers throughout much of, of world history. Now, the sword is not the only weapon of the ancient soldier. Uh, in the Greco-Roman world, both with the old Greek hoplites generations before, and with the Roman legionnaires and Roman auxiliary troops, the men who built the Roman Empire in Paul's generation, you would also have a spear called a pilum, or also a javelin. The javelin, or the pilum, and the sword together were the principal or primary weapons of the Roman soldier. But I would say, perhaps even more than a spear or a javelin, the most obvious foundational weapon in defense and offense, the most foundational sidearm of a soldier, the most essential would be the sword. I apologize again to you folks uh, watching. If you have good history books of ancient history, the Roman Empire, you can look this up. Or in your local library, you can go online. There are lots of wonderful images of the sword of Roman troops in Paul's generation. Uh, many of these swords have been excavated at archaeological sites. You can see in museums. Again, photographs of these weapons are online. Uh, also, there are uh, certain uh, historical arms manufacturers who are reproducing these weapons for museums that you can actually see or hold or see some sort of demonstration how these weapons were used. For those of you who are here in the flesh this morning, there it is. Uh, that is a very well done reproduction of a Roman gladius from the first century AD, the sword of a Roman soldier. This may very well be part of Paul's inspiration for the metaphor, of course, the soldiers of his day with whom he was very familiar. But also, um, remember the descriptions of the Lord God and his Messiah in the Old Testament as a divine warrior king. And so there is the real inspiration for Paul's metaphor, for the people of God living this life in part as a soldier. Now, a little bit about that weapon. 
because this hit me pretty hard this week and the following weeks in studying this metaphor. Many of us have been believers for some time. We have read this passage over and over and over, and some of the import and the impact has been lost upon us. It really is stunning that of all of the things that the Apostle Paul could have used to describe the principle or primary weapon of a soldier in this life, he describes the Bible itself. The Word of God, the sacred scriptures, is a weapon in the hands of the people of God, a Christian believer, a weapon, and I uh, hang my hat with the theologians who believe it is not only a weapon of defense, it is a weapon of offense. More upon that later. Paul is saying, and imagine the impact that this would have had upon the Ephesian Christians of the first century A.D., the brothers and sisters in Christ who were the first recipients of this letter in the first century A.D. He is saying, you all are very well acquainted with that in the hands of Roman troops and Roman auxiliary troops. The Bible, the sacred scriptures, the Old Testament, and the New Testament as it was being written at that time. In your hands, it is the equivalent of that. The gladius in the hands of a Roman soldier. That's a very, very powerful metaphor. And I really urge you all to let that sink in and think upon that. In the days and weeks ahead, there are many, many, many applications in how this can be used. How that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, can be used, can be played out and exercised in regular everyday life to defend and protect you and others and to make advances against the kingdom of evil in this world. So, the gladius, you can't quite tell there. It's about so long. And the word is machaira, not a romphira. A romphira in Koine Greek was a very long sword, and it was one that probably, let me use the terminology of the Romans, those barbarians in the provinces uh, in northern Europe and central Europe and beyond the known world, they used those. But the Romans used this weapon, the gladius. And if you know anything about Roman history, early in the development of the Roman Empire, they conquered the people of what in Europe and what is now the nation of Spain. And when they conquered this region, which is now Spain, they named it the province of Hispania. And the native peoples of Spain at that time, they used a sword that was somewhat similar to this. And when the Roman troops conquered them, the Rom Romans were pretty sharp people. If they saw any sort of weaponry or technology that was uh, comparable or better to their own, they were smart, they adopted it, and they approved on it, and they uh, perfected it. And one of the weapons that they borrowed from the people of Spain or Hispania, that they modified it and perfected it, was what was nicknamed the Spanish sword, or the Romans called it the gladius. And this is the principal sword of Roman troops at that time. It also, does the, name, uh, the word gladius sound familiar to, to you? Gladius, gladiator. It was a sword that was often used in the arena for the gladiatorial games, but much more so, it was associated with the Roman military. And this very well may be the type of weapon that is on Paul's mind as he is inspired by the Spirit to write this metaphor. This gives you the visual in the physical world, the mortal world, that you need for the metaphor of the Christian 
doing combat against evil spiritual forces in this world. So if you care to know this, this is actually the sixth piece of equipment that Paul has taught us about. The sixth piece of equipment in the Christian soldier metaphor. In this case, not armor, but the soldier's weapon itself. So first of all, obviously, Paul is urging and commanding all believers as Christian soldiers, according to the metaphor, know your sword, know your weapon, be efficient with your weapon, be skilled and proficient in the use of your weapon. Make very strong and very constant use of the sacred scriptures as a weapon, as a sword in fighting the powers of darkness in your journey through this world. That's quite a true thought. That's quite a truth statement. That is quite a concept. Some folks find it a bit disturbing and a bit rattling. But it is for each and every single solitary believer in our journey through this world on our way to our eternal home. And we are to take that metaphor seriously and apply it seriously. We use the scriptures both as a defensive and, off- and, defensive and offensive pardon me, weapon in the cosmic conflict that rages all about us on a daily basis and our conflict in confronting evil in this world, spiritual warfare as we traditionally call it. We use this or are to use this, the scriptures themselves, Now listen carefully, as if for the first time. You use the sacred scriptures when you are confronted with any demonic attack whatsoever against you or yours. Your defensive and offensive weapon is the Word of God itself. We also use it against all spiritual evil that we encounter on the battleground of this world and this life. And as we all know, the battle in the spiritual world will very often manifest itself in the physical world. I think we can see that all around us in our generation today. Let me quote Dr. Clinton Arnold, as I have so often from his commentary. He writes, At the same time, this weapon represents an appeal, an imperative really, a command to the Christian church to make known the Word of God, to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and action that does amount to a major form of aggression against the kingdom of evil in this world. Paul also states that the Holy Spirit of God has not only supplied this weapon, supplied the scriptures to God's people, but he dynamically empowers those words, empowers that sword for maximum defensive and offensive impact, end quote. Now the sword, again, the Christian soldier's weapon is the Bible itself. The Word of God, the sacred scriptures, is a very, very powerful part of this spiritual warfare metaphor, an indispensable part for the Christian life. And you find how indispensable is the Bible, are the scriptures, to living the Christian life wisely and well. It's obvious according to the metaphor, isn't it? If you do not have your sword, you are going to be ludicrously vulnerable. You're going to become a spiritual casualty. If you do not have your sword, your offensive weapon, you are going to be worthless in this world and waging the conflict against the powers of darkness, which we are commanded to do, according to this metaphor and other passages, Old Testament, New Testament alike. It's an indispensable part of the Christian life. So let's realize what the apostle is teaching and so apply it. Every time, what's the first application here? It's obvious. Absolutely every single time, 
that the scriptures are taught, the scriptures are read, the scriptures are studied, the scriptures are meditated upon, you are using that sword. That sword is drawn and it is being used. You are being trained in the use of it or you are actively using it to defend yourself or others or to make an assault against spiritual evil that you may be encountering in this world. Every time the scriptures are taught, studied, proclaimed, that is using, that is working, that is exercising this sword in defense against evil and in attacking evil. We assault the powers of darkness. We assault our spiritual enemies. When we make use of these sacred scriptures, folks, that is a very profound truth. And I hope that will not be lost upon you on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, we're doing so right here and right now at this very moment. We have folks from six or seven states in the United States that are watching, and probably about that many countries. We are waging spiritual warfare right now in this place and our humble little gathering, even as I speak, because what are we doing? We are applying the Word of God. We are teaching and meditating and studying and proclaiming the Word of God, which is going out from this place throughout the world. I take pride to say, forgive me for using the word pride, but if I may use the word pride, I take pride to say, by meeting here and by broadcasting this to folks around the world, we are attacking the powers of darkness around the world and here at home. And we are arming you in your soul and your heart and your mind to defend and protect you against spiritual evil and to enable you to aid and protect others. We are to do this, each and every one of us, as individuals, as families, and as churches, alone and together. Every day we live, everywhere we go, everyone that we're with, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, the Christian armor metaphor is for every day that we live. Every day that we live. There are no days off for the armies of the living God. Not this side of eternity, not in this life. It is a way of life for the Christian soldier. Now the word that Paul uses in New Testament Greek for sword is not gladius, it's machaira, as I told you before. It can mean a short sword, even a dagger, at times in Greco-Roman literature. But many New Testament translators believe that this word, machaira, that Paul uses, is the Greek equivalent of the Roman gladius in Latin. That very strong, very effective, double-edged, as you can see, double-edged sword. And it was pure murder in the hands of a very well-disciplined and very well-trained Roman soldier. In fact, uh, you know my love of, of history, even ancient history. And one uh, Roman military historian has described, imagine thousands of these in the hands of thousands of Roman soldiers in that, those magnificent tight tactical formations that we had. And he said, I really feel sorry for the enemies of the Roman Empire because charging up against that would be like charging into a meat grinder. That was the bloody effectiveness of the gladius. Paul is saying that's how lethal and proficient and effective the scriptures are to be in the hands of a Christian warrior against Satan and the powers of darkness in this world. Again, it's a very powerful metaphor. It's a sobering complex, uh, concept, pardon me. This word also, by the by, for those of you who have expressed interest in the biblical languages, it is the most commonly word used for sword in Koine Greek, the commercial language of the Roman Empire at the time Paul writes this letter. 
The sword is the Bible, the Word of God. I can't hammer that enough. The sword is the Word of God, the sacred scriptures, given and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, given to the Christian soldier by the Holy Spirit of God over the generations. Paul uses the phrase, to nomatos, which we translate as sword of the Spirit. It means the sword of or by the Spirit of God. What's another obvious life application here? Can you imagine how much our spiritual enemy fears and hates the Bible? Imagine how much our spiritual enemies hate and fear the use of the sacred scriptures. How they hate and fear the use of the Holy Spirit inspired and given word of God in the hands of the Christian soldier. Christian soldier, if you know your defensive and offensive weapon wisely and well, if you get into this book and get this book into you, as others have said, do you know how lethal and dangerous you are capable of being against the powers of darkness in this world? That is precisely what we all are to be. And that is how well we may defend and protect ourselves against the attacks of spiritual evil in this world. Defend and protect ourselves and others. What's another obvious life application? Get the Word of God into the hands of believers everywhere in the world over. That is a major, major concern for the servant leadership of this church, as you folks have noticed. We desperately need to get the Word of God, whether it is digital, whether it is technological, whether it is the printed page. A major part of our ministry is trying to get copies of the sacred scriptures into the hands of unbelievers for their conversion, but into the hands of Christian believers, Christian soldiers, so they are properly armed according to this metaphor. And we should be properly armed up and properly trained ourselves. This is how indispensable the Word of God is for living the Christian life and how well we should all know it. You have to know it that the entire divine library, your entire defensive and offensive weapon, backwards and forwards, cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament. Please, folks, America has been suffering from grievous biblical ignorance for these past generations or so. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. Know this book. Get into the book and get the book into you. That's why we teach the Bible the way we do on Sunday mornings. That's why we teach the Bible the way we do in our Bible studies. And it's not just for theologians. It's not just for the eggheads in the Bible colleges and the seminaries. It's not just for the elders and the deacons. It's not just for the pastors. It's for everyone. Everyone. Isn't that obvious? By the metaphor that we're unpacking, inspired by the Spirit to the Apostle Paul, to the church for time immemorial, until the great King returns. By the way, it's very interesting... Obviously, this is a paramount importance and a priority. But I found this interesting in my studies these past couple of weeks because it's the only time in the Bible that a sword is associated with the Holy Spirit. It's the only time in the Bible that a sword is associated with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is represented by wind, by water, by oil, by fire. But this is the only time in the Scriptures that the third person of the Trinity is associated with a weapon, the sword. It's very interesting. And of course, Paul is receiving his inspiration from the Spirit of God who gives 
the spiritual sword to the Christian soldier. Scripture is inspired by the Spirit of God, and this sword is of the Spirit of God. If you want to defend yourself and others, if you want to be effective in assaulting and fighting evil in this world, know and have this sword. Sacred Scriptures. Here's the metaphor bottom line. Be, be as skilled, be as trained, be as familiar, be as experienced, be as effective with the sacred scriptures as a hard campaigning veteran Roman legionnaire was with his gladius, his machaira, his sword. That's the kind of spiritual warfare veteran Paul is commanding us all to be. That's the point. That's the command in the metaphor. And this is a priority which each and every believer and each and every church is to take seriously. Now, as we attend this and take this seriously, remember that with the sword, the word, again, we are not only to defend, we're to go on the attack. We are to assault and defeat the powers of darkness in this world. The Greek word that Paul uses for word, as in word of God, the word he uses for word is chema. It is not logos. There are two principal words in the Greek language in the New Testament that we translate as, as the word. One is logos, which we're all familiar with from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the logos, the word of God, who was one with God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who became flesh in his incarnation. The other word is chrema, R-H-E-M-A, chrema. And chrema is an interesting word. It often means the spoken word or the proclaimed word as opposed to the written word. But often Logos and Hrema mean the same thing, the written and spoken word. Here's the point. This is what Paul is saying. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is both the written and the spoken Word of God. That is Scripture. That's the sword. We proclaim, we teach, we speak the written and recorded words of God. God the Spirit. So let's dig a little bit deeper, as you know. <laughs> I like to try to challenge you with this Sundays and Tuesdays. Let's go just a little bit further. As far as, or how is the Word of God, how it works out and functions as a sword of the Spirit. There are two main interpretations. I would boil it down to basically two main interpretations over the generations. As to how this works out in our life. How this sword of the Spirit works out in our life. How it is to be used. One emphasizes the attack. I like that one. Because I like the generals throughout American and world history who believed that the best off defense is a good offense. The first one emphasizes the attack. That is, the sword, the word of God, as an offensive weapon. So Paul would be speaking of the proclamation, the teaching, the studying of God's word, the Bible, as being empowered by the divine, dynamic, supernatural power and activity of the Spirit of God. The work of the Spirit of God through the word, through this sword, this represents a major attack. Let me use military language, as Paul does in the metaphor. It represents a major offensive campaign or maneuver against the kingdom of darkness. Theologian Peter O'Brien writes in his commentary, Paul is referring here to the faithful speaking forth of God's word, the sacred scripture, the gospel, against the realm of darkness, so that men and women who are held in darkness by Satan might hear this liberating and life-giving word and be freed, liberated from his grasp. End quote. I agree with that 100%. There is much to recommend that. That is a completely legitimate interpretation. The second interpretation, the second view, stresses the defensive position. The Bible, the Word of God, as a defensive weapon. Now, personally, I believe this is one of those instances where 
There are two main interpretations. I do not believe we should choose one or the other. I do not believe one is right and the other one is wrong. I believe they are both right. I believe Paul is being inspired by the Spirit to say that the Word of God is to be used both defensively and offensively. Both interpretations are correct. But now focusing on the Word of God defensively in particular. Isn't it obvious or it should be? God's Word in the heart, the mind, feeding the soul of the believer, defends believers against all of the varied and numerous attacks that our spiritual enemies will launch against us and other believers in this life. Yes, that is most certainly true as well. The skilled, experienced, knowledgeable, relevant, accurate, honest, truthful application of the Scriptures to all of life in every situation and every, every circumstance will defend you. It will protect the Christian soldier in this life, in this spiritual battle. Now, how relevant is that for today? It always has been. But it should be more than obvious today in our time, in our generation, shouldn't it? And always remember, who is the model par excellence who leads the way, the perfect example? It's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, remember? In His incarnation, in His first advent, in His life, in His ministry, we read in the Gospels that Jesus Himself personally did battle with Satan in the wilderness of Judea, what we traditionally call the temptation in the wilderness. And how did the Lord Jesus Christ defeat the evil one Himself in that encounter? You remember? With the sacred scriptures, the written and spoken word of God. And he defeated and drove off altogether the evil one in that personal battle and that personal encounter of combat in the wilderness. So it is with our Lord, so it is to be with us in wielding the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. A theologian by the name of John Adey writes, The great captain of our salvation, Christ himself, set the example, and once and again and a third time did he repel the assaults of the prince of darkness by three brief and simple, well-placed citations from Scripture. End quote. That is the power of the Word of God. Another takeaway that we have from this passage is this. should be obvious, shouldn't, should it not? Never, ever, ever underestimate the effectiveness and the power of the Word of God. Never underestimate the power of this book to defend and protect you and to attack the work of the enemy, our spiritual enemy in this world. Never, ever underestimate the efficiency, sufficiency, and the power of the written, spoken, and recorded words of God, God's revelation to humanity, the Scriptures. Remember what both the prophet Isaiah and the apostle Peter wrote. Actually, in Simon Peter's letters, he is quoting or citing the prophet Isaiah. When the prophet writes what? The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God endures forever. There's a sobering thought as well. 10,000 times 10,000 years from now, when absolutely everything in this world and this universe no longer or exists or is radically changed and transformed, this will still exist exactly the same. We'll never wither, we'll never die, we'll never fade. 10,000 times 10,000 years from now in the eternal kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth, this will still be precious and treasured by us and for us. 
It will never go away, even when we are looking at the divine author in the flesh face to face. His word will still exist and be relevant and important. Never underestimate its power. Remember what the author of the book of Hebrews wrote, another very beloved and oft-quoted passage from the New Testament, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living, it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sound familiar? Another use of the metaphor, whether Paul wrote Hebrews or one of his protégés wrote the book of Hebrews, there's the metaphor again for the Christian soldier, the Christian life. This book is alive. It's active. It's at work. It's never passive. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged gladius of any Roman legionary, piercing down to the division of one's soul of spirit, of joints of marrow, and discerns the very thoughts and the very intentions of one's heart. Remember also the image of the sword as the Word of God from the New Testament. Go back and look at the book of Revelation this week in your devotions. Look at Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 9. When the apocalyptic visions given to John by the Spirit begin in the book of Revelation, he encounters the risen, ascended Christ in all of His raw, divine, unveiled glory. And what does he describe in the vision? There is a sword which proceeds from his mouth. What does the sword represent? His spoken word. The spoken word of the divine, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent Son of God, God the Son. And read Revelation chapter 19. In the apocalyptic visions of the apostle, we see the end of history, the great divine plan wrapped up when the divine warrior king rides forth to war for the last and final time. To end and judge evil in this world and in this universe on that white horse. And what does he describe? There is a sword proceeding from his mouth by which he annihilates his enemies and judges evil. Let that sink in. He speaks and his enemies are annihilated, obliterated. That is the spoken power of God the Almighty. His spoken power to create, his spoken power to judge and to destroy. Never underestimate the power of the words of God, spoken and written. And to conclude, now many agree, and I agree with them, that Paul's language in this verse does support both views, both interpretations equally that I gave you. He means the sword of the Spirit is to be used both for defense and offense, and pray to the Spirit of God fervently and vigilantly that we know which is which that we know properly how to defend ourselves with sacred scripture and that we know how to take up the sword which is sacred scripture and advance against the enemy in this world. He does mean the sword of the Spirit is both for defense and offense for you, Christian soldier. And remember this, I believe Paul is saying this, we should not forget this. We all have that sort of self-centered knee-jerk reaction to want to hunker down and defend and protect ourselves. We're not in this just for ourselves. We're not in this just for ourselves. We're fighting for others. Never forget that. We're fighting for others. You're not only fighting to defend and protect yourself, you're fighting to defend and protect and free and liberate people who are around you. Fight to defend that Christian warrior to your left and to your right. 
What is it that almost all veterans say when they open up about their experiences in combat? They're fighting for their country. They're fighting for the folks back home. Yes, of course, they know that they get that. But in that experience of combat, they're fighting for their friend. They're fighting for their comrades. They're fighting for their buddies. They're fighting for the man to their left and the man to their right. And the same is true for us, isn't it? Christian soldiers, we're fighting for the Christian soldier in the ranks to our left and to our right, or to the Christian soldier ahead of us, or to the Christian soldier behind us. We're not just fighting for ourselves, we're fighting for others. We're fighting to set others free from being held in chains of slavery, spiritual darkness, which is all around us, is it not? So painfully obvious at this particular time. A thorough knowledge, a thorough working understanding of Scripture accompanied by one's very careful consideration of its relevance for every situation and circumstance. Folks, it's absolutely crucial, absolutely critical for standing against the attacks and the temptations that are going to come our way from the evil one. And as the psalmist declares, Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden, actually it should be probably better translated as, I have stored away your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And also remember, all of God's word is the sword of the Spirit. All of it. The entire divine library, Old Testament, New Testament, all 66 books, the entire Bible is a sword of the Spirit by which we stand fast and advance. Remember, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is a story that is so magnificent and so enormous, it takes both Testaments to tell it. The entire Word is a sword of the Spirit. But of course, naturally, in this age of the church, this age of the New Covenant, as Christ says, the Word of God is the prophetic, spirit-breathed gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ, which sets spiritual captives free, which turns back the darkness in this world, and which cleanses and purifies and purges and protects Christ's people, Christian soldiers in this world. Before we go to communion, I'll close with this quote from a wonderful old theologian from the 19th century, Mr. Charles Hodge, who wrote a very popular commentary on the book of Ephesians. Concerning this part of the Ephesians passage, he writes, In opposition to all error and deceit, the sole, simple, and sufficient answer is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. This canon will put to flight all of the powers of darkness. The Christian soldier finds this to be true in his or her individual experience. It is also the experience of the church collective all of her great triumphs throughout the generations over sin and deceit and error have all been affected by the Word of God. As the old Romans would say in Latin, hoc signo vinces, in this way, in this symbol, conquer. And so the Apostle Paul may be understood to be saying exactly the same thing to every believer and to the church as a whole. End quote. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful metaphor for the Christian life. I pray by the power of your Spirit and by the truth of your word, this sword, 
that you will enable each and every one gathered in person and watching to apply this metaphor to their life wisely and well, to translate these inspired words into action in their life, to protect us all through this life's journey, and to be good veterans, faithful veterans, in being able to successfully wage war against our spiritual enemy, the powers of darkness in this world. And I pray for the effectiveness and for the protection of everyone here and for all Christian soldiers watching and listening. And we pray, O oh Lord, hasten the day, but according to your perfect plan, when the divine warrior king, our Lord Jesus himself, returns and ends this ages-old conflict once and for all and brings the fruits of true and lasting peace into a new heaven and a new earth wherein only holiness and righteousness dwells. And help us all to be sturdy, experienced, happy, joyful, veteran soldiers, rejoicing at the return of our great captain and our great commander. In the precious and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.